Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today on Coding with Christine Hall. I have my amazing friend, Melissa Kirshner here. She is going to help us walk through pregnancy. Where were you when I was having my pregnancies? Just kidding. We're going to talk about the ICD-10 guideline for pregnancy, childbirth, and uh, the in-between, right? Absolutely. And the afterwards, the purpurium, as we call it. I, I just have a hard time with that word sometimes, so I skip it. I'm like, you like know, postpartum. Postpartum uh, period. I like all the P's, postpartum period. Pregnancy to the postpartum period. Say that three times. <laughs> so, have you been? I know that we saw each other at HealthCon, and um, are are you going to Washington D.C. this year? I am going to Washington D.C. I think I have your session. I'm signed up for your session right off oh, the bat. I'm signed up for my session too. There you go. I'll see you there. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, I'm excited to be in DC. We've got such great education planned for DC. Yes. I can't, I can't wait. Um, I'm going to be talking about chronic care management, yep. which is a hot topic this yes. year. Um, what are you talking? Are you speaking? I'm not speaking. I'm just attending. What? I'm just oh. attending. I'm okay. speaking at DocuCon. Oh, so yeah. I'll be doing DocuCon instead. And you're also on the Documentation Advisory Committee. I certainly am. Yes. We've got a, a big session, a big workshop coming up at the end of September for the Documentation Advisory Committee. Awesome. I can't wait. Learning how to read operative reports. What documentation are we looking for in operative reports? Oh, my gosh. That's going to be fun. I know. So today is National Beans and Franks Day. And I don't even know how I feel about that. And I was talking to Lexi earlier and I don't I don't know that I've actually ever had beans and franks. Really? Yeah, she said the same thing just like that. I'm not I'm not Do sure. Thing? No yeah. hot dogs, no beans. I don't think so. I really don't think I've ever had that before. So I guess we're gonna have to try that since it's. I guess a so. Day. I mean, if it's if it's big enough to be a national day, I think so. I think it deserves some attention. To me, it just sounds like something a pregnant woman would crave. I never craved that. I craved Twinkies. Mm. I craved Twinkies. I had boxes of Twinkies hidden all over my house. Like the individually wrapped ones, they were hidden everywhere. It was the only thing that I wanted the whole time I was pregnant. You know, I heard a rumor that um, that is probably the only food that would survive an apocalypse. Yes, I've, I've heard the same thing. And I don't think that I've had one in 21 years. So if you find one, I mean, it could still be <laughs> technically. Could be. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> Sorry. I had to go there. <laughs> let's uh, let's take some time to talk about chapter 15 of the guidelines. Um, I, I, I normally share with everybody, the guidelines are so very difficult to understand for some people. And even after reading them 
dozens of dozens of times. I, I just read them again the other day when the updates came out. Yep. Um, thank God there's not a lot of changes this year. Last year, they kind of, they kind of got us good last year. So I think this year they were feeling sorry for us and said, we'll just go easy on you. We'll just hit the important stuff this year. I always say the um, guidelines appear to be written in English, but it's not English, right? Just take your time, go word by word, read them a couple times. They will eventually make sense. I, um, I bought a shelf from Ikea and it came with some instructions. And when I sat them on my desk next to the guidelines, I, I didn't know which one was which because they were so similar to each other. Okay. So chapter 15 gives us a, a lot of guidance for, and I, th I think, I don't know about you, but personally, I think chapter 15 is probably the longest guideline chapter because, um, the, because pregnancy really it, are the codes that we report for everything that's happening with mom while she's expecting. So yep. those guidelines include if this, then this, or if this, then this, and it's all of those conditions that we see throughout the guidelines, but they're all specifically detailed in chapter 15 because it's when mom's expecting, what do we do? Right. Cause they all relate back. This is one of those chapters. And I know I think you and Beth were sort of talking about this last week or, or two weeks ago, but it's kind of the same thing with OB is that I'm not siloed in just OB because if my patient's OB with hypertension, I'm going to need a little bit of OB. I'm going to need a little bit of cardiology. If my patient's uh, an OB who's diabetic, which is super, super common, mm -hmm. I'm going to need OB. I'm going to need my diabetes codes or their gestation. Like you can get anything in this chapter. So you really have to know your guidelines kind yep. of across the board. When we talk about diabetes, it's funny because um, I, I always say that the pancreas is like the drama queen of the body and anything. You, you get another condition, you get the pancreas kind of perks up and goes, oh, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. Or you're taking a medication and the pancreas <laughs> goes, mm, I'm not liking this. Or God forbid you're growing a human in your body. The pancreas is like, whoa, I didn't approve this. Um, I'm not working that hard. So right. you're going to have to supplement or um, I'm just, you know, I'm going to, I'm going on vacation while you're growing this human. Exactly. And the pancreas is that drama queen. So we do need to really watch um, when we have those conditions that pop up during pregnancy there. And the very first section of chapter 15 tells us that when mom is growing a human, we have an entirely different set of rules. That entire code set takes priority over any and other code set that we might need to report when mom is expecting. Yep. And I always tell my students, think about it like this. When mom is pregnant, how many people are you really taking care of? At right. least two. <laughs> that takes priority over everything. Absolutely. Because that's what it is. We've got mom, we've got at least one baby, if not multiples. I know we're going to talk about multiples this morning too, because you can't do OB and not talk about multiples. I know. My sisters are twins. And, yeah. and I vividly remember that conversation where mom called it. And, you know, this is back in the day when they didn't, I can't believe I just said that. That's my pet peeve term. Um, but this is when they didn't automatically do ultrasounds. So mom was just as surprised when she went into labor 
as we were when, when I got the call, these are my younger sisters. And she said, there's two of them. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Mm -mm. I did not sign up for, I'm just coming to terms with the fact that um, I wasn't good enough and you needed another. And now you're telling me that you've multiplied. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I was like three and a half, four years old. And I remember that thought process like it was yesterday. Like, whoa, I didn't sign up for this. Listen, I was prepared to share my parents with one person and now you're springing more. Mm, not now. I've got some very good friends who are multiples and they are identical, 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 but they're tired of people asking if they're identical. So now it's down to a science. Somebody asks the question and one of them says, do you see her too? Oh, <laughs> that is awesome. Um, in my household, um, we live in Florida and, and I, for a lot of, you know, that we have, Florida has two rival colleges, Florida state and university of Florida. Well, the twins decided that it would be fun if one went to F, um, FSU and one went to U of F. And then they thought it would be fun to go to Thanksgiving day football game and one sitting on one side and one sitting on the other side. And people didn't quite understand. Why are you here? Why are you there? It was, it was always a joke in our house that they were rivals, uh, rival so teams funny. there. Yeah. So we had, we were definitely a house divided. <laughs> <laughs> Multiples are interesting when it comes to the ICD 10 codes, because we have those funky identify which baby we're talking about when mom is pregnant with multiples, but those same codes are used when mom is pregnant with only one baby. Right. So it's, it's that's, I know that's character. one thing that really confuses students because that seventh character totally can throw you off. That so I think we have a little graphic we were going to throw up about yeah. that. So the, the seventh character, um, I don't know about you and your students, but my students struggle with, the the numerical order because it makes sense that we would when we're identifying the fetus or the fetuses that we put one down if there's one because that makes sense to us but Not in icd10 world but really it's because and and you and i have had this conversation before when you're pregnant i don't walk around going i'm pregnant with one baby Right. <laughs> there's, I know I'm pleasantly plump, but there's only one. No, it's I'm pregnant and, and that's it. I don't identify. It's just one. When you're pregnant with multiple babies, we identify this is baby one, this is baby two or baby A or baby B. And ICD-10 kind of has that concept built in. But it's, um, it just goes against the grain, Melissa, yes, that it does. we say um, zero instead of one, but yep. that's the correct coding. It is zero because zero does equal one baby. And uh, uh, you had some great tips there. You had said that in your ICD-10 book under the tabular section where you've got those codes and it identifies the seventh characters, what, what was it that you said? So... In, in my classes, I tell my students, when you find those codes for multiples, because there really aren't that many of them. Right. 
I tell them to bracket off where it says one through nine. It says one equals fetus one, two equals fetus two. Bracket those off and write the word multiple next to it. Or, and or, make a great big note, zero equals single. So that they remember it's right there. It's in their face. I don't want anyone to get confused. And until you're really comfortable using those codes, it's really easy to make that mistake. So we go through, I think it's like nine pages, not that many codes. We'll actually do it in class. That's hey, everybody, awesome. flip to the next page. 031, bracket them off. Yeah. Multiple. Yep. Because, you you know, you're right. Uh, my my uh, daughter-in-law is expecting our second grandbaby. I am absolutely through the moon right now. Um, but it would be weird if I came over and rubbed the belly and said, hi, baby one. How are you, baby one? Right. She would probably take a step back and look at me like I was nuts. Right. Right. Yeah. Another thing that they added to the guideline this past year that um, I don't know, it kind of rubbed me wrong personally. So the new guideline that said we only code up to the completed weeks of gestation. So like 39.4 days would not be 40 weeks. It would be 39 weeks. But I don't know about you. I remember those four days. They were the longest four days of my life. <laughs> and I wanted to get credit for them. But the new guideline said... We cannot round up. We have to round to the completed week. And those four days don't count for anything. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of saw that as just a clarification of what we've always done because we never rounded up before. It was always how many weeks, how many weeks pregnant are you? Not how many weeks and how many days, how many right. weeks pregnant are you? And the guidelines um, do that. The yes. guidelines do provide clarification, and that's why it's so important every year to make sure that you're checking those guidelines to see if we've received. Because it, it happens just like this. What do we do if? In what scenario? And, you know, listen, as a coder, I always need that backup that I can go to my providers and I can show my providers, this is why I am asking you this. Not because Christine is just being real picky. It's that this is the correct way to report this or to do this. And yeah, I think I that's think, really important. Yeah, the, the guidelines are so important. And I think, and I know we're not gonna talk about the 2024 guidelines now, but we did get some really helpful clarifications in the 2024 guidelines about what needs to be coded and what needs to be documented. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm very excited to be able to start rolling those out. Me too. Um, <laughs> I know that the, the new guidance doesn't start until October 1st, yep. but no time like the, the present to start looking of how that's going to impact your organization. Now I wanted to go and talk a little bit about um, the code assignment for those routine visits that we go to, to the doctor. We've, we've got to go um, once every few months in the beginning, and then we start going once a month, and then we start going every couple of weeks until, you know, the D-Day the comes. And uh, 
but how do we report those visits where the mom's just coming in for a routine checkup because being pregnant's not a disease, injury, or illness. So how do we identify just those checkup visits? So those are our Z34 codes at the back of the book. Those are just our routine, just like mom was coming in for a physical, but mom's coming in for a physical because she's pregnant. So we have our codes at the back of the book. Now, those codes are interesting because we identify, is it the first pregnancy? Is it not the first pregnancy? Or do we not know? Did we not get specific enough? We just know that mom's pregnant. Z34.1, Z34.8, Z34.9. And then with pregnancy, it's always interesting because our diagnosis code can change mm -hmm. throughout the pregnancy, depending on the trimester right. that she is. So we get to learn all sorts of stuff as coders for OB because we have to understand those trimesters. Now, there's a guideline in there that talks to us about pre-existing conditions and how those are reported when you're pregnant. So maybe you had hypertension before you were pregnant and you're still hypertensive and we have to manage that. Or you had diabetes before you got pregnant and we still need to manage those diabetes. So they give us some good instruction there as well. Yep. So the guidelines walk us through going and looking at those pre-existing conditions impacting pregnancy. They're going to be part of our 009-010 set of codes. And this is one of those places where we don't get away with just our OB code set because we have to, once we identify that mom is pregnant and diabetic, now we get to go not only to our 010 set of codes to identify the pregnancy in di with diabetes, but now we've got to go to our diabetes code set mm -hmm. and follow all of those gu guidelines as well. Right. And that's what you had said earlier is that sometimes we still need to interact with other guidelines. So while pregnancy has its set of guidelines, there are many places in that chapter guideline that refer us to cardiology or cardiovascular um, that refer us to the endocrine system so that we can follow those rules subsequent to the OB chapter. Yep. Yeah. So, OB keeps us busy. Yeah, absolutely. OB Assessment. keeps us very busy there. <laughs> so a few things that have been added along the way, and there's been a lot of talk about um, substance use during pregnancy. And we're seeing that more and more. Actually, I worked on a project recently for the American Academy of Family Practice, and um, they really wanted to kind of revise their material to reflect about substance use screenings in pregnancy and in pregnant people. And it's kind of strange. I thought that over time we would see less substance use in pregnancies because of all of the education and the advocacy that's out there. But it seems like the numbers are coming back that we're seeing more substance use in pregnancies, especially cannabis during pregnancy? Well, I, I think we just lived through a pandemic. And, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure if you know about that. Um, but <laughs> we're seeing... 
Oh, there's so many things I want to say, but I won't. <laughs> we're across the board. We're seeing more drug and alcohol abuse period yeah. in all of our patient populations as a result of the pandemic. And we have made cannabis legal. So we're seeing increased use. So I do expect that we start to see those numbers climbing in all of our populations, including our pregnant patients. So we do have very specific diagnosis codes that we use, our 09A set of codes mm -hmm. that are at the end of that section to identify drug use in a pregnant patient, tobacco use in a pregnant patient, alcohol use in a tobacco patient, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. That's something that we're seeing. Oh, I agree with you. I, I really do. And um, and you're right. It, that puts things into perspective. We did just live through a major event. So um, yeah. oh, that wasn't affected it? people differently. <laughs> a little pandemic. Uh, um, and it was global. Did you right. hear? It was global. Like the world had it too. No way. Saying. Now, there are specific guidelines there that talk about the delivery process. So we know we're going to have nine months of pregnancy and some people, God love them, have more than nine months and we have to help them out to get that baby out who doesn't want to come out. Um, but we've got codes that indicate the outcome of the delivery because, you know, there's going to be an outcome at some point. Yep. And so those are our, our Z37 set of codes for the outcome of delivery. We want to see that on every single delivery visit. So we're not going to see that, obviously, in every single patient encounter. But when they deliver, we want to see what happened. What was the outcome? We had a single live born. We had twins live born. Um, right. We do have those codes for, for stillborn as well. Um, which, you know, we unfortunately have to use sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I don't want to say it's my favorite, but I love in the AAPC version of the ICD-10 book, we had, um, Peggy Stilly and I actually worked on this where we added some like tips and definitions yes. into chapter 15 codes and under 082, which is our um, cesarean section mm -hmm. for no medical reason, it actually says tip, cesarean section for no medical necessity. It's a cesarean section of convenience. You know, we want to have the baby on a particular day or make sure we get that baby out by December 31st. Um, but that's our 082 code. But um, and I've also heard sometimes you've got a, 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 a unique set of people who are very afraid of going through the labor process. And if that is an option for them, sometimes they may choose that more invasive procedure than having to go through the labor process. Yeah. Um, you know, have, having a magazine said about that one person, I don't know. <laughs> having grown up with a father who was an OBGYN, we would try to steer patients so far away from that. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, it does happen. 
Um, but we have our regular delivery codes. We also have our 080 code. Mm -hmm. And that's when I, you know, I always, again, give my students at least the tip with 080, our normal routine vaginal delivery, make sure that you have the appropriate diagnosis codes. There are only two other diagnosis codes that'll go with that. Our 080, our week of gestation, mm -hmm. and it should be something north of 37 weeks, because that's our normal routine, um, nine months of pregnancy, and then our outcome of delivery. And that outcome of delivery can only be Z37.0, normal routine, single, mm -hmm. single birth. So, right. Yeah, that's good. That's good. We got a lot of good guidance in this chapter 15 for us. Yeah. Um, the next little section talks to us about the postpartum period or the, the, the immediately after delivery um, for some of those complications that might happen with a pregnancy. So we're still going to use our chapter 15 codes through six weeks of pregnancy, so six weeks post-pregnancy, that postpartum period. Say that and potentially beyond that as well. Right. And, and that guidance comes there. There is, there is some very specific guidance in there. So definitely for the first six weeks postpartum, because that's the time frame that it takes the human body to shrink that uterus back down to its pre-pregnancy size. Mm -hmm. So in that first six weeks postpartum or after delivery, we are still using our OB codes. It's, it's the back end of the OB codes. Mm -hmm. like our 085 and beyond, um, to identify the postpartum conditions, postpartum complications. But we also have some conditions that don't rear their heads until second or third trimester that may continue beyond mm -hmm. that six-week time period. As long as our providers are still tying that condition that they're treating to the fact that mom was pregnant, six months earlier, we still can be using these OB codes for a period of time beyond six weeks um, after the delivery. Amazing. So it all comes down to that provider documentation. If he or she just says the patient's dealing with cardiomyopathy, but doesn't tie that cardiomyopathy to the pregnancy, I have to go with just my eye set of codes. Right, right, right. Oh. And that 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 is so very important that um, you know, e e e these are things, this podcast is something that you could even share with your provider. If it's something that you've been struggling with, you know, maybe they don't have the time to really sit and absorb the guidelines because like they're very difficult sometimes, maybe just sharing this information with them to say, there's a few key areas in those guidelines. You know, here's the podcast, here are the guidelines just for chapter 15, or maybe just for this section of postpartum that, you know, we can give them for a review to uh, kind of remind them that Absolutely. we're just coders. Um, and I've said this many times on the show is the providers need to understand that the business of medicine, there are not a lot of physicians who go to school and become a physician and go into a specialty, do their, their fellowship, their residency in a, in a specialty, and then say, you know what, I think I'm going to go work for United Healthcare and process claims. That, 
that is, there's such a shortage of that. It doesn't exist. So the code set is exactly how we support those payments. We get those payments. We, We follow the rules that the payers have told us because the payers themselves are not clinical people. Coders, we're not really clinical people. We've we've seen it, we understand it, we process it, but we're not, we don't hands-on, right? And it, it has to come from that documentation. So, so important. What we do as a partnership with the providers, I want you to be the physician, but I have to take your information and translate it into what the insurance companies are going to use to pay you. So sometimes we need to have a little bit of a sit down and we need to figure out what that, what that verbiage needs to say. Right. So that I understand what you're trying to tell me so I can tell them and pay you appropriately. Absolutely. It's it's definitely a partnership, but I don't want my physicians to be coders. I want my physicians. I want my providers to be providers. You provide the care. I'll provide all of the billing and coding knowledge after the fact. And and the business of medicine is becoming or, or has become more formal. And I think providers need to remember that as well, um, that we are as as professional coders, billers, auditors um, working in this field here. We have trained to be the experts in the business part of medicine. So we need that work together. As a matter of fact, the guidelines added a couple of years ago, a specific clarifying verbiage to say, providers work with your coders. It's a joint effort to make sure that the proper codes are assigned for continuity of care, for litigation, for financial support. We need to have this relationship. Yeah. Um, Just a couple of things before we end just to remind everyone that there is an entire section of um, guidance for when a, a pregnancy is terminated. So whether it be voluntarily terminated or that it is you know, re- recommended by the physician that the pregnancy be terminated, um, we've got some specific guidelines for that. And even when there's side effects of that termination. And, and I, I always caution people when we talk about those termination codes, that termination is a medical term. It can be a voluntary termination. It can be a, a medical reason. It can mm-hmm. be a spontaneous, a miscarriage yeah. is still considered a termination of a pregnancy. I, you didn't want it to terminate, but it happened a spontaneous miscarriage. So that's some of the terms in here are definitely highly politicized, but we have to think about them in terms of just the medical aspect. Correct. Thanks for that clarification, Melissa, because that's so very true. It's, it is a very sensitive subject, but um, where there is no, there is no um, support or not support or judgment or like you said, political view on that that term. It is simply yep. a term that means that the pregnancy is is ending or it has ended. And whatever pregnancy the reason not, is, right. Yep. That, that's did not come to fruition, as I say. Correct. Exactly. But we do need to make sure it's coded appropriately. And, and the guidelines give us some guidance for that as well. 
in terms of how to handle it and also at the stage or the week of pregnancy. Right. Because depending on that week of pregnancy, when that happened, we have a different code set that we have to look at as well. Right. Because every week there are, as my daughter-in-law has an app and she keeps showing me, okay, it's a, it's the size of a pea. It's the size of a coconut. It's the size of a, and, and, but not just the size, but there are physiological changes that happen at each stage of the pregnancy. And, you know, it, the, we, we don't know what we don't know and why certain things don't happen at certain stages of the pregnancy that should happen, um, we, we don't know. And that right. could be also something that contributes to that, ter that, that pregnancy terminating. Maybe that yes. there wasn't a development that happened at a, at a moment that it should have happened. Um, Absolutely. So really, really interesting. Well, can you believe that we've already finished our time together? No. This was too much fun. We have to do it again. We will. Absolutely. 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 <laughs> um, I wanted to put your contact information. So if anyone has any questions, wants anything more specific, please feel free to reach out to Melissa. She is on LinkedIn um, and there is her email there. Wow. You've got a lot of credentials. Wow. And I'm that going for weird. another one. Wow. Going for another one in like two weeks. What are you going for? CPCO. Nice. I just finished the, I just completed the CDEO and I passed that one. Thank yeah, you. Of course you did. Oh. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I am um, at this moment, I am not seeking a new one uh, at this moment. But as I have been reminded, those exclamations don't hold water anymore. <laughs> I may have had that conversation with somebody else yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is it. This is it. And they said, uh-huh. Sure uh -huh. Yeah. it is. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Melissa. It was so great to have you on and so great to see everyone today. All the women that joined us today, all of our great friends. Um, and I can't wait to see you next month at HealthCon Regional in Washington, D.C. So excited for that. I hope to see lots of our friends there too. Absolutely. I know we will. All right. I will see you and have a, thanks for coming. I'll see you next month. And for all of you, we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. Thanks for watching. 